0: I'm sure this happens to you. I feel like this happens to me an inordinate amount. But you ever get started on a project only to discover that there's a fatal flaw as the project goes along? You know the whole measure, <laughs> measure twice, cut once thing? Well, sometimes you measure two or three times and you still miscut, and you gotta, what? What are you gonna do? Right, there's some projects that you're engaged in where you think, well, I just need to add more of that. Right? If I put in too much salt, I just need to add more water, or I just need to put more something in there. And then there's some projects when you screw them up, you just have to, you have to go back. right? In order for you to build that thing up, in order for you to accomplish what you want to accomplish there, you're going to have to destroy it a little bit. You're going to have to tear it down. I remember when I worked construction in the early days of our marriage, uh, I was the worst construction person ever. But... <laughs> But also, we had a really challenging job, and it was challenging not because the work itself was so difficult, but I remember one day in particular, uh, showed up at work, and we had framed out a window, and uh, my boss came and said, no, we, we misread the blueprints, or there were the wrong blueprints, so we need to move the window. So, you know, I had to bash out all the, the studs and, and, and move it about a foot to the left, and then he came back a little bit later, you know what he said. It was in the right spot to begin with. So we had to bash it all out, take it all apart, put it back over here. And and, and of course, my boss and my foreman are getting angry and angrier uh, because the, you know the, the, these little change order, all oh, so many change orders, right? And so then the last thing we did that day was we actually moved it back to the second position. So we moved the window framing three times, which is fine for me. I was getting paid the same hourly rate. But my boss wasn't happy because he was paying the same hourly rate for me to move studs around. So sometimes when you're working on projects, there's a lot of really frustrating changes, right? You, you want to accomplish this thing, but you're going to have to tear something down. you to have to put it back up. You're going to have to tear it down again. You're going to have to build it up. You're going to tear it down again. But the goal, of course, is always to have something that is beautiful and functional in the end. And in the end, and thank goodness nobody could see that frame job on that window, uh, but in the end, we made that beautiful and functional in time. But it's, it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge. Paul's using a lot of building up metaphors here at the end of 2 Corinthians. Open up in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapters 12 and 13, the last section here in 2 Corinthians. And I just want to, as we get into this, review briefly the history of 2 Corinthians because I think this is going to be helpful and important. So, Paul goes to Corinth and he establishes a church there, he's there for a while. He preaches, teaches, shares the faith, and gathers a, a group of believers who want to learn more about Jesus, who want to be members of one another, and and be the body of Christ in Corinth. And he gets him pretty well established. He feels pretty good about it, and he leaves. and And within a few months, he hears uh, messages from people there, from from uh, Cleo's people, and and these other letters and, and guests uh, coming to Ephesus where he is, and saying. Oh my goodness, you wouldn't believe there's a whole group that says they're of Paul, but then there's others that say they're of Apollos, and there's some that are of Cephas, and there's a Jesus party, and there's all of these shenanigans. So he writes, he writes a letter, he has to write another letter, they come back, he writes two letters, Uh, our 1 Corinthians is the second letter to the Corinthian church. Then after he writes 1 Corinthians, he gets a report back of just how bad things have gotten in the the time it's taken him to send and receive these letters. So it's gotten so bad that he makes a trip over there. He calls this in 2 Corinthians, he calls it his painful visit. He shows up there and he's humiliated. So he leaves and he writes what he calls a severe letter. That's the third letter to the Corinthian church. The severe letter, sent with a little bit more of a maybe severe character named Titus, uh, seems to accomplish what Paul wants it to accomplish. And so he writes now 2 Corinthians. So this is the fourth letter. He's made multiple trips to Corinth and written four letters. Uh, now he's, I guess he's made two trips. Now he's going to make a third trip to Corinth, but look with me at the end of chapter 12, verse 20. The situation is again, or still, very fragile. Paul says in 2 Corinthians twelve twenty, I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I feel that when I come again, I fear that when I come again, the same thing he said in verse 20, I fear that when I come, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced." This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's ominous. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now again while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. This is a kind of a different field of this passage, isn't it? It's a difficult situation that Paul is anticipating. Look with me at how this section begins, the beginning of the reading, chapter 12, verses 11 to 18. I want you to pay attention to uh, sarcasm, anger, sorrow. Paul says, I've been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I'm nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what way were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I'll not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say? I got the better of you by deceit? Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Do you hear the pain here? I mean, Paul is just, he's like, why are we still having this conversation? Aren't I a true apostle? I'm your spiritual father in the faith, and I've never done anything that wasn't for your sake. I've never taken advantage of you. There's a very real sense here of Paul kind of coming emotionally a little bit unglued. And all the other letters of Paul, he's beep, 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 therefore, so that, now then, right? He's very logical and calm, and, and, and here he's just brokenhearted. And notice how this passage ends, how I said the whole book ends. Chapter 13 give you a second for your phones to load. Chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. What do you notice right off the bat about that in your Bibles? Isn't that kind of a small ending for one of Paul's letters? Think about some of his other letters and say hi to so-and-so and and tell so-and-so to make sure they send some baked goods and, you know, like all this stuff. Here it's, fondly brothers, rejoice. I should probably say that happier. Rejoice aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the fourth letter Paul's written. He's made at least two trips, extended stays, here in Corinth. He doesn't name anybody. Isn't that unusual? He doesn't send greetings from anybody that they know. the book ends with kind of a whimper. Right? You get the sense here that Paul's just tired. Rejoice. Be restored. Please just live at peace. He's tired. He's not optimistic. I mean, I feel like the overall picture, the, the, the emotional tone of this chapter, of this section, is that Paul is exasperated. He is fatigued. He is hurt. He is dispirited. He is dispirited. That's not a good place to go, Right? Have you been dispirited? Somebody you loved, something you invested yourself in, and it is not returning. It's hurting you. And you just think, oh, what have I done? What am I supposed to do? It's a very hard place to get to. None of us like to get to that place. And yet when we get there, there is a kind of a sense of uh, clarity that comes to us. A sense of directness. Right? We don't have energy for any of the nonsense. We don't have energy for any secondary questions. Just Listen. Just listen, here's what I'm doing, and here's what I'm going to do, and here's what I need you to do, okay? You had that conversation recently with somebody? Listen, here's, here's what I'm doing, here's what I'm going to do, here's what you need to do. Are we good? Can we stop having this conversation now? So what is Paul doing, what is he going to do, and what does he need them to do? That's what this passage is about. There's a final appeal, a warning, and an application in this section. The appeal here, you may have noticed this repeated a couple times. The appeal is to let us build you up. We see this in chapter 12, verse 19. Paul says at the end of that verse, It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. All for your upbuilding. Chapter 13, verses 9 and 10. We are glad when we're weak and you're strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that God has given me for building up and not tearing down. I have this authority. I could be using it to tear you down. I want to use it to build you up. It's the same thing that Paul says at the beginning of chapter 10. In chapter 10, verse 8, kind of the beginning of this bigger section of kind of here... Paul says, even if I boast a little too much of the authority which the Lord gave me for building you up and not for destroying you. I mean, what's the implication when somebody says like, hey, listen, I want to be a blessing to you. I don't want to crush you. Sort of the implication is like, I could crush you and I kind of feel like I should maybe crush you, but I don't want to crush you, so can you please stop? This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, let us build you up. What does it mean to build something up? This is going to be kind of our central metaphor this morning. What does it mean to build something up? It's the opposite of tear down right that's what he says the, uh, build you up and not tear you down. to tear down something is to remove the supports to remove the things that that make that thing stable. so to tear it down is to make it unstable and to remove those attachments to build it up is to integrate it with what is stable to integrate it with what is stable right so if I stand a single two by four, eight foot two by four right here, how sturdy is that? Right? Anybody, right? A toddler could push that over. It is not sturdy. Well, what if we upgrade it to a two by six? You know, if you build by it with two by six, it's substantially stronger, right? So let's stand a two by six by eight up here. How sturdy is that all by itself? Right? Also not sturdy. How about a two by eight? Right? That's a, that's a serious chunk of wood, right? Those things are like solid gold these days, right? I think the, the per ounce price, right? But you get one of those, you find one of those buried out in your wood pile, you pull those out, that's a, let's stand that up here, how sturdy is that, right? Still, toddler could just push it over, right? When it's by itself and it's not integrated into something that's stable and strong, it has no strength. It's, it's so easy to topple. So Paul wants to, he wants to build them up. He wants to integrate them with what is stable and bring strength to them. And he wants them to bring their strength, right? If, you, if you've got a two-by-six and you put it in a wall, it makes that wall substantially stronger. He wants them to bring their strength back into this and to get strength from it. And he calls this restoration. We see this in chapter 13, verse 9. He says, your restoration is what we're praying for. Your restoration is what we're praying for. And he says in verse 11 of chapter 13, he says, aim for restoration. Your restoration is what we're praying for, and we want you to aim for that same thing. Be restored to, be integrated with the real gospel, the real Jesus, the real spirit. Be integrated and reattached to and restored to Paul and to the church. And Paul makes a a little bit of a deal here about saying in Verse 19, as we saw before, and also chapter 13, verse 3 says, you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. I have this authority and Christ is speaking in me. Paul has authority, he has the ability from God in Christ to speak authoritatively about the gospel and the life of faith. And that authority is meant to be a gift for the Corinthian church so that they each individually and as a group have an enduring and strong faith and life together there in Corinth. Paul's aim is that there is a gospel outpost in that place that lasts beyond his life, that lasts beyond their lives, and that from there, the gospel can spread to the whole region. So this is what Paul's appeal is. Paul, godly leaders long to see each other and the church built up. But sometimes in this world, for them to do that, they're going to have to maybe be a little bit severe. That's the word in our Bibles for what Paul is warning them about. We see this in chapter 13, verse 2. He says, I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did while present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. In verse 10, for this reason, I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that God has given me. So Paul wants to them to let us build the Corinthian church up, but he warns them, You're not, I'm not going to spare you if you don't repent. Now, what is that threat, actually? I think every time I read 2 Corinthians, I sort of imagine Paul, like Vader, coming into the sort of control room of a starship, you know, and you you hear the, and you know, like some guy's making excuses, or they're kind of getting lippy with Vader, and you know what happens, right? He's going to be severe. He's going to do, and all of a sudden, you know, I imagine the super apostles all just kind of like, (gasps) but that's not probably what happened. I think we would have records in church history of Paul, like being able to choke people out from a distance. So since we don't have that, I, I think in the text we find something else. What does it mean? What, what is this threat actually? I, I think we see it in chapter 12 verse 21. Paul says, I fear that when I come again my, my God may humble me before you. And then we take that and we add it to chapter 13 verses 8 and 9 where Paul says we can't do anything against the truth but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. So I think the threat, the severity that Paul is going to bring is he's going to humble himself and make himself weak to the Corinthian church. I think what this means is he is going to break his heart open for them. I'll gladly spend and be spent for you. He's going to humble himself before them in an awkward expression of love. Uh, what's our, our word for this? is uh, He's going to make a scene. Right? That's like the, the first commandment in, a, in the real American cultural law. Don't make a scene. Just don't make a scene. Don't make a scene. Don't, don't get all sappy and cry and blubber and be an idiot. That's what Paul's going to do. That's, that's what he is threatening. That's his threat. God's going to humble me before you, and I'm going to appear weak to you. I'm going to spend and be spent. I'm going to break myself open for you. He's going to humble himself and preach the gospel to the Corinthian church and tell them about how much he loves them and trust the Spirit to work. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been in a relationship and a conversation where you've done that, where you've, you have broken your heart open, you have become vulnerable, you have expressed your love, you have tried to point that person to Jesus? How do you feel? Or you feel like the world's biggest idiot? This is what Paul, he doesn't want this to happen. <laughs> he, he wants them to just, like, he wants the Spirit to work without him having to do that. But he knows that a lot of times the Spirit works through that, through our weakness, as he just got done saying in chapter 12, through our vulnerability. So let us build you up. You will not be spared. And here's the appeal now. Here's, this is an interesting thing. Chapter 13, verse 5, what does he say? He says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith and test yourselves. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith, and test yourselves. This word examine is a really interesting word. It's a, there's a, uh, Paul uses t- twice in our English translations, it, it says examine. The different Greek words. And this one is the more severe. This is the one used in other places for cross-examination at a trial. So, put yourself on the stand and ask really challenging questions of yourself. You need to to take a really good, close look at yourself. What is he saying? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. He's saying some of you might not actually be Christians because people can think they're Christians. People like to think they're Christians, don't they? And there's a whole industry of teachers and ministries who find it profitable to assure people that they're Christians. But they might not be. It's a challenging subject, a serious subject. What's the test? He says examine yourselves and test yourselves. He doesn't say what the test is might be different at different times in different situations but it is always going to be centered around this question of building up what are you attached to and what are you supporting are you attached to the gospel are you attached to jesus are you attached to what does he say in chapter 11 verse 4 a different gospel a different jesus a different spirit are you attached to sin Right? Many of these people are really attached to sin. He gets done, he describes all this in chapter 12, verse 20. Quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip. He talks about it in chapter 13. About sexual immorality and sensuality. That's the end of chapter 12. Are you attached to that stuff? Are you attached to nonsense? I mean, Paul talks about what they're these super apostles are bringing into the corinthian church as as a different gospel a different jesus a different spirit a lot of it would be what we would consider to be just nonsense like what are you talking about politics uh cultural trends that oh we're getting all fired up about like what does that have to do with jesus well this over here and then and then the bible and jesus is in the bible also okay no that's not how this works the gospel and Jesus are very distinct subjects. What are we attached to and what are we supporting? Are we attached to a disciple-making local church? Are we attached to and supporting some sort of self-promoting magic bullet ministry? I think the question here is Paul saying, what are you being and what are you building? What is building up you and in what way? What are you being and what are you building? Those are really the test questions here. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. What is pouring into your life? Is it Jesus in the gospel, or is it sludge and nonsense? And what are you attached to in building up? Is it gospel works and gospel fellowship and, and the body? Or what? So this is what this chapter is all about. This appeal, this warning, this application. So now let's think a little bit about kind of what are the big principles here? What does this mean for us? And I think the, the number one thing is that the number one thing for us is that the goal, Paul says, the goal of everything is building up. The goal of everything is building up, upbuilding. Whatever authority we have is for this to spend and be spent for the souls of the people that God has put us among. This is what we have our authority for. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. We have authority to be cracked open and poured out so that the church might be stronger and more luminous, that the word of the Lord might run and be glorified everywhere it goes. Let me just encourage you with, like, you have authority from Jesus. You don't have Paul's level of authority. I don't have Paul's level of authority from Jesus. But we have authority from Jesus. We have strength. Where would you get that strength from? I got that strength from Jesus. You have gifts. Where would you get those gifts from? I got those gifts from the Spirit of the Lord. You've got understanding of Scripture and of life and of how Jesus merges with different subjects in life. Where would you get that understanding from? Well, the Spirit gives us that understanding. You've got an influence over certain people in certain networks in certain places. Where would you get that influence from? Well, the Lord put you there. You have authority. What's that authority for? What is it that the Spirit is in our lives trying to, to do? The Spirit is in our lives trying to build up the body of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 14.12 Since you are so eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Since you, are, you want to see the Spirit at work, then put your hand to the plow in this manner. Building up the body, the church. Ephesians chapter 2.22, Paul writes this, You are being built together into a dwelling place for God, By the Spirit. Here's what the Spirit is doing building us up into the body of Christ. The goal is building up, and so, kind of, the second big principle is for all of us, and this is really the subject that our section is about, is to let your leaders build you up. Let your leaders build you up. Paul didn't write this, but I think this captures his, a positive statement of his heart here in 2 Corinthians 12 and 13. This is from Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls. They're spending and being spent for your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage for you. Now, Church leaders serve Jesus first, and therefore they serve his church. <clears throat> and what that means is that there's going to be times when church leaders need to call us to the two things that Paul does here, need to call us to uncomfortable self-examination. And there may even be times when a church must not be spared a display of loving power. Now, I don't feel like we've had to do that too often here. A lot of times people will say to me, like, oh, that was a pretty hard sermon, or that really hit me. Uh, Okay, I I don't know. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here when he's not sparing and being severe. But I do want to just bring this to the surface for a moment and just say because the myself the elders brian and tony the deacons other teachers in this congregation our goal is to see is to serve jesus and to build you up there's going to be times where that is going to be a little bit uncomfortable obviously you're here meeting here which i think means you have a certain measure of tolerance for discomfort but we all need to bring to the service the fact that for most of us we only feel built up when what when I feel good about myself, right? When you walk here feeling like I'm good and Jesus can help, that, that feels like, all right, I feel edified, right? Like when I get done eating sushi, I feel edified. I feel like I can take on the world. It just hits me and boom, away we go. Let's do this, right? That's how you want to feel and you feel edified. But what Paul's doing here, he's saying, I'm trying to build you up. I'm trying to edify you. And you need to examine yourself and prepare for a very awkward conversation. And I bet the Corinthian church and the super apostles were like, well, that's not edification. That's not edification at all. That's edification. Because sometimes when you serve Jesus, first of all, and his church, consequent to that, you've got to listen to Jesus. and You've got to care for their souls. So, when you think about what edification is, I mean, some of us are spiritual masochists. I don't think you have to be, like, in pain every Sunday. But we have to at least open ourselves up to the sense that there's going to be some good words and some good hard words that are going to come at us from Scripture. And we need to be open to both of those things. All right, so let me give you some practical things for today. How to get built up. Right, if the goal of everything is to build up, and we're, we're trying to figure out how to build up and, and We want to do that well. How do we get built up? Here's five R's. It just happened. It was in the Bible. I'm sorry. Five R's. Number one is repent. Chapter 12, verse 21, Paul says, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you. I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented. Are you doing stuff that you know you shouldn't do? are you not doing stuff that you know you should do? Okay, let's stop. (laughs) Stop doing that stuff or start doing that stuff and get help if you need help to stop with those sins. The older I get, the more I realize the Christian life is like a series of marathons. You're never done. You just sort of like, you know, you get the the slice of pizza and the Gatorade at the end of one and then you just start the next one. That's a lot better. I'll talk through that. Uh, so, the Christian life is a series of marathons, right? You're like 0 to 18, 18 to 30, 30 to 50, 50. You know, there's all these different things. So, if you're carrying a bowling ball, it makes it a lot harder. Let us run the race with patience. Let's set aside every sin and the weights that so easily encumber us, the author of Hebrews says. Repent and get rid of the bowling balls, you'll run a lot better. That's the first part in being upbuilded, build it up. Second one is to receive, to receive the gift of gospel-serving leadership. So again, what Paul says several times in here, we have this authority to build you up. We have what we have so that you get attached to things that will make you stronger and you can attach to people that you can make stronger. So you're stronger, they're stronger. You're more stable in your faith, they're more stable in their faith receive those gifts so who who what does paul say here in chapter 13 verse 9 i think this is interesting he says we are glad when we're weak and you're strong he's saying just so long as your faith is stronger we're happy who in your life is happy when your faith is stronger who is glad when they hear that your faith gets stronger Right? Keep them around. Receive them in your life. And, and let me, let me even dig a little bit more in the, in the tone and spirit of this section. When's the last time somebody made you spiritually uncomfortable in a helpful way? When's the last time you had a, a conversation with somebody that was spiritually uncomfortable, but ultimately it was helping you be stronger? And, and who, if not, if you can't remember when that was, who in your life has permission to have those conversations with you? Make sure that you keep them around. Make sure that they know, right? Make sure that they know and, and make sure they have permission and, and make it explicit and ask them to do that for you more, to receive their authority and power so that you're stronger, so that we're stronger. The third thing for how to get built up here is to be restored. Again, at the end of chapter 13, Paul says this is what we're praying for is your restoration. Your restoration to Jesus and the gospel and, the, and Paul and his mission, but also to the church because he goes in chapter 13, verse 11, and he says, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. So he's talking about aim for restoration with the one another people, with your congregation. Be restored and reattached to gospel-bearing churches, right? God says it's not good that we should be alone. It also applies to church life. We need friends in this race. Here's a really interesting thing. At the very end, right, so this is the very end of 2 Corinthians. Paul says, aim for restoration. That word is a really unique word in Paul's letters. And one of the only other times he uses it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. So the very beginning of the Corinthian correspondence, and at the very end of it, he says, please, our goal for you is that you would be restored. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, it would be better translated mended. It's translated in the ESV as united. And here it's restored. A sense of something broken, reattached, made stronger, more beautiful, more useful. So be restored. Here's a little gift. I love this one. Look at chapter 13, verse 5. Everybody look at, look at verse 5 again. He says, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. That that part's kind of scary. But listen to this. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Don't you realize? You need to realize what you have from God in Christ and what that means for you. That Christ is in you. Christ is in you. You matter here. You matter because Christ is in you. So be strengthened because Christ is in you. And give strength to us. Because Christ is in you. Realize this. That Christ is in you. And then how he concludes in chapter 13, verse 11. He says, finally, brothers, rejoice. What do we have to rejoice about? Rejoice. Rejoice because you are being transformed by the Lord who is the Spirit from one degree of glory to the next. Rejoice because the power of God is is put on display in your jars of clay. Rejoice because he who provides seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and will increase the harvest of your righteousness. And rejoice because the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with you all. Rejoice because God is at work. God's work is good. His work is us. God is not going to leave us in this. He will keep us, and he is. Building projects like church, like making disciples, they're complicated. We're restoring strength to what is weak. Restoring those who are weak to strength. Making them beautiful and useful, glorious and good. And along the way, there's going to be a lot of discoveries, change orders, complications. Challenges. There's going to be challenges for everybody, but we're building something here, right? We, like the Corinthian church, we're, we're the presence of Christ here in our communities, in the worlds that we inhabit, our workplaces, in our our neighborhoods. We're building the presence of the kingdom of Christ here. And even though it's not easy, listen, it doesn't have to be as hard as it was at Corinth. Because we have the grace of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with us all. We have it together in this church. So let's be supported. If you're weak, if you're struggling, seek out strength from the body. If you've got strength, if you're feeling bubbly and full of joy, give strength to someone who's weak. Let's build. Let's build this thing up, and let's build each other up. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for this. Uh, it's a time sober reminder of what is involved in building up each other, and what is at stake. That our souls and our faith, that we need to pay attention to these things more closely. Lord, some of us here this morning are feeling very spiritually weak. We're here out of muscle memory. We're not here out of joy. We're not even sure we're here out of faith. Maybe we're here out of faith and faith. Some of us are struggling with sin. Some of us are not struggling with sin. We're just giving in. And some of us are here feeling full of the joy of the Lord and, and hearing something from you in the Word that is exactly what we needed to hear, seeing something from you in our lives in answer to prayer that's exactly what we need to see. And so, your presence and your love is, is so real to us. And we feel made strong by your Word, and, and the sins that we normally struggle with, we're not struggling with those things. We feel free from them. We feel that joy. Lord, both kinds of people are here. Both of us are here. And we're here so that we might give strength. We might get strength. Blessed are those, Lord, whose strength is in you. And you give that strength to us so often from your word and through each other. And so we ask, Lord, that you would deliver that strength to us today I pray Lord that you would integrate these members that all of us here that all these joints and ligaments that we would work properly that the body of Christ in the Palmyra, Ego, Maguanago this this region here would grow as a result that more and more people would know Jesus more and more better Lord we, we trust in you And we hope in you. So we ask that you would do this now. In Jesus' name, amen.